Welcome to the Center Branch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. So you can be seated this morning. Good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited that you, you joined us. Today's going to be a great day. Amen. And sense God's presence already in this in this place. Glad that you, glad that you are are here today. Uh, this is such a special time of year. Lots of exciting things going on. Pastor Christina mentioned last week. Man, our kids did such a great job in the in the kids' Christmas play. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> None of them are in here to hear that appreciation, but uh, it's the thought that counts. Amen. As, as the Bible says, it's the thought that counts. So if you work with our, our kids, I, I want to say thank you to you as well. We've got some amazing, amazing people that work with our kids. And sincerely, I'm very thankful for all of the people that help make that, that children's ministry a reality. I'm thankful as a pastor because we have an incredible kids ministry for our community. I'm thankful as a dad because my kids benefit from being, having gone through kids ministry and on into a phenomenal youth ministry. So if you're one of the people that help serve in kids ministry, thank you so much. Last week was great. Next week is going to be amazing. Pastor Christina mentioned that as, as well. Next week is Christmas at Center Branch. I want to encourage you, number one, to be here. And two, this is a great opportunity to invite people that normally don't come to church to be with you. We've got two evening services available as well. So if mornings is a problem for them, we can eliminate that, that excuse. You know, Christmas is a time of year that lends itself to inviting people to church. And so what we always say around Christmas and Easter, we want to be as innocent as doves. We don't have pure motives, but we want to be as shrewd as serpents and take advantage of opportunities to advance the kingdom of God. And so that takes all of us working together. We can try to work and, and strive and put together an excellent service to be a blessing to people to present the gospel, but it's the whole body working together, people going out and compelling people to come in. So I want you to make it a point to invite people, invite co-workers, neighbors, whoever. We'll give you invite cards. We've been pushing it all over the place online. There's billboards up and all those kinds of things, but it's the personal invitation that really is going to bring people in, and so that's, that's where you come in. So we've set you up. They, they've seen it. If they were at Light Up Night in Bridgeport, they've been driving around. It's on billboards. We've just set you up to go in and close the deal and invite them and get them here. We're going to see people come to know Jesus. Amen? So that, that's next week. And then, obviously, we've got Christmas. And then we're starting a brand new year. Can you believe it? 2023 starting right around the corner. And so we always begin our year with 21 days of fasting and prayer. In the series we just finished up, when we talked about the blessed life, one of the things is we talked about finances is that the first part belongs to the Lord. That that's just a principle in scripture that we honor God by giving him the first part. In that series, we applied it to our tithes. That a tithe is the first 10%, not the third, not the last 10%. That it honors God when it is the first 10%. The first part, biblically, the first part is used to redeem the rest. And, and we, we looked at a lot of examples of that. The Bible says, if the first portion is holy, set apart for the Lord, then it does something to the entire portion. Then the whole lump is holy, it says. It says, if the 
root is holy, that that starting point is holy, then the entire tree is holy. So we, we apply that to our finances, but it's not just a financial thing. It's really everywhere. Start our day honoring God, just waking up in the morning and spending time in his presence, giving him that first portion. We're starting our week. It's why being in the house of God on Sunday morning, it's significant. It's not just a religious exercise. There's lots of reasons why it's important that you're here, but we meet in the morning on Sundays, because we're starting a week, and we give him the first part. Why? Because the first part is used to redeem the rest. Lord, this whole, this whole week belongs to you. Well, we take that same principle and apply it to our, our, the year. We're starting a brand new year. How many want 2023 to be a great year? How many want, want yeah, absolutely, right? You'd be a fool not to. Well, listen, it's one thing to clap your hands and say, yes, I want it to go well. It's another thing to actually discipline yourself and take steps to ensure that it will go well, that we want to walk in God's will. We want to know, God, what do you have for me this year? I don't want to just put together a bunch of resolutions that are outside of the line of what you want. Instead of asking God to bless our plans, let's, let's carve out time. God, what do you have for us in this year? So one of the ways we do that is we take 21 days to fast and to pray. And we'll be talking more about that over the next couple of weeks and on into January. But I want you, I would love to have everyone in our church participate at some level. This is a corporate fast. So there's times that you fast on your own. It should be a regular part of your walk with the Lord, one of your disciplines in your life. But there are times biblically where they would call a corporate fast. And that's what we do at the beginning of the year. So we always say there's three different ways, three options for you to participate. One way is what we would call a selective fast that you would say, okay, these 21 days of fasting and prayer start uh, January 2nd that you can select certain days. Okay, I can fast uh, Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, or you know, three or four days a week. And you plan that out and decide how you're gonna participate. Select those days. Second way is just to do a complete fast. And so we would designate that as no, no food for the entire 21 days, that you limit yourself to water, coffee, tea, fruit juice, vegetable juice, and, and that's it for 21 days. Or the, the third way, and this is what I recommend, is that you take from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., fast breakfast, fast lunch. Use that time to press in, to dig into the Word of God. Use that time in, in prayer, and then eat dinner, and then repeat that for, for 21 days. And as we're talking about fasting and praying, we are talking about not eating food. Biblically, that's what a fast is. It's not denying yourself uh, social media. It's not saying no, no video games for 21 days. And those things are fine to set aside. Really, you probably should, you probably should have times where you set that aside. But biblically, that's not fasting. If, if no video games and no social media is a fast, then, then my, my grandfather fasted his entire life. He was on a 70-plus year, year fast. But you're denying yourself. When you deny yourself food, you're denying your, your most base fleshly desire, instinct. And so we, we can talk more about the significance of that, but I want that to be on your radar. How will you participate? Go ahead and pray about it. Decide how you're going to do it. I'd love for everyone to participate on some level. Make up your mind going into it because once you're into it, your flesh is going to try to change your mind. You need to decide now. Because the first time you start getting hunger pangs and your, it's, your belly's growling, or you'll get invited out to eat more than you ever have before over those 21 days. Everyone wants to have lunch with you. So you, if you don't have a plan going into it, Lord, I'm committing this time in this manner. So I want, I want that to be on your radar. And then we'll have times on, on Wednesdays and Fridays in the evenings. We'll be praying together here at the church or at every day of the week at noon. The sanctuary will be open. So we'll, we'll talk more about that. But I want to let you know that's, that's right around the corner. 
And then you can feel free to eat all the Christmas cookies and all that kind of stuff going into it, right? Freedom. All right, well, listen, we're gonna jump into the word of God here, but before we do that, would you pray with me one more time? Father, we love you. Thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Father, I pray you grace us this morning not to be so familiar with church that we spectate. Lord, that we would be engaged. We will allow your word, your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Father, bless us with eyes to see, ears to hear, a spirit of revelation and understanding so that we can know you more. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. I'm just gonna read a few verses out of what we classically know as the Christmas story and use that sort of as a a launching point this morning. Luke chapter two, we'll start in verse eight. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So you know the story. The shepherds are out just a regular night as a shepherd, I suppose, taking care of their their sheep out in the darkness, out in the field. When all of a sudden an angel shows up, makes an announcement. Eventually there's a whole host of angels and they say they're bringing good news, glad tidings. This is going to be for everyone unto all people. And really the, the crux of the announcement was this, unto you a savior Unto you a Savior has been born. Now, I want to come back to that in just a minute, so you can kind of pause that right there, but there's something I I just kind of want to get off my chest before we come back to to, uh, the shepherds in the field, and just something that's kind of been irritating me in my my home life, and I thought I would burden you with it as as well. At my house, when it comes to mealtime, I will admit, I don't really have a whole lot to offer. I don't bring a whole lot to the table, literally, when it comes to meal preparation. That's my my wife and kind of her department. But when I do get involved in helping prepare the meal is a a few different times. One is if we're going to smoke some meat, if we're going to use the smoker, that's where I come in, right? I'm the guy. I'm the guy for that. Or if we're going to cook on the grill, that's another time where I am taking more of a lead role in meal preparation. One other area where I kind of take the reins is in making chili. I don't know if there's anyone here that enjoys a good bowl of, of chili. It seems to be one of those things, either you really, really like it or you don't care for it. But if you like chili, it is hard to beat a good bowl of chili on a cold day, late in the fall, early, early in the, yes, amen. A nice, good bowl of chili. So just a couple of weeks ago, it's that time of year. It's time for chili, so I get all the ingredients, and I make chili. And so when I make chili, that's really my opportunity just to let my culinary uh, juices flow. I mean, I'm just, you know, uh, the time where I'm a chef, because I don't really have a written recipe. I'm just letting 
you know, letting my heart be my guide. And I'm, I'm throwing stuff in. I'm tasting and saying, no, we need a little more of that. I'm dropping stuff in. We need some more spice, some more garlic. I'm just kind of flowing. And, and I, I think I can make pretty, pretty good chili. So I, I made the chili and it's time to eat it. And my, my wife doesn't like chili, so she's completely out on that. But then a couple of my daughters will enjoy chili with me. And so we're eating it. And a, a couple of them, as they're eating it, we're taking the beans out, out of the chili. So they're enjoying the taste of it, and who wouldn't? It was excellent chili. But they didn't, they didn't want the beans to be a part of it. So on one hand, I get it. If you don't like the beans, just, just take them out, you know, set them aside, not a problem. But on the other hand, you're ruining my chili. Honestly, I don't even know if it still technically is chili once you take the beans out. I think it ceases to be chili at that point. You're left with just uh, meat soup or something. I don't know what you call it. Once you extract the beans, you've got these weird bowls of just beans that have been selected selected out. So on one hand, I get it. On the other hand, listen, that, that's not the recipe. That's not how my chili goes. I worked to put all of those ingredients together. I combined them in just the right fashion to create this, this chili. And because I put it all together, and that's the way my chili goes. My chili has beans in it, lots of beans. I don't, I don't want you picking it apart. I don't want you separating what I've worked to put together in that pot. Because that, that's my chili. That's my, that, those are my ingredients. I put them together. I don't like it when people pull them apart. Now, Jesus says something similar in Mark chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said this, Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, most Bible scholars feel that when Jesus said this, he wasn't talking about chili. They think he was talking about something altogether different. And if you look at the context, it turns out he wasn't talking about chili. He was, he was talking about marriage, right? He was talking about when people come together to get married, it's a significant decision. And you shouldn't just willy-nilly decide that you don't want to be married anymore. That divorce shouldn't be something, just an easy decision because you're bored or the, the girl at the office is cute and she's flirting with you and you think you might have a chance. And so the, the, the decision to get married isn't just the decision to have cake and have people bring you gifts. That when someone wants to get married, they're entering into a covenant. And whether they realize it or not, they're actually asking God to get involved in their relationship. They're asking God to perform a miracle. They're asking God to bring two people, and they're saying, we don't want to be two people anymore. We want to enter into this uh, incredible, miraculous covenant, and God, do I don't understand how, do a miracle and make us so we're not two anymore. Make us one. And then he says, Jesus is following up on that, and says, so what God has joined together, don't let men mess with it. Don't let men pull it apart. Any kind of teaching, any kind of motive, men shouldn't pull apart what God has joined together. So we understand he's talking about marriage, but we're also given a principle that can be applied other places. Yes, he's talking about marriage, but when he says when God has joined something together, men shouldn't separate it. That we can apply that different places. So if we can find things that God has joined together ingredients that he's brought together. It is a mistake. It goes against what Jesus says is proper to begin picking it out. That, that Jesus, God, God the Father, feels similarly when people start pulling apart what he's put together the way that I do about my chili, when people start picking beans out and, and di different ingredients that, that don't really appeal to them. Don't separate when God has joined things together. Now, let's jump back to the shepherds. The shepherds are hanging out in the, in the field. The angels show up, and they, they make the announcement, unto you a Savior, unto you a Savior is born. 
It's, it's, it's reason for rejoicing. It says for you guys, for all people, for everyone. Everyone has a reason to rejoice because a Savior has been born. Now, the word that's translated Savior, the root word of that in the Greek is the word sozo. So when they say Savior, they're saying he's the sozoer, the one who does the sozoing in the Greek. Now, that word sozo means this. In the Greek, it means to save. It means to rescue. It means to make whole. It means to restore. It means to heal. So when he said a Savior is is born, it's more than just Jesus coming to pay for our sins. Now, if that's all that it was, we have reason. We still have reason to rejoice, right? If, If it was just now, I get when this life is over, I get to go to heaven. I don't have to go to hell. We would still we would still have enough to celebrate forever and ever and ever. But just from that word alone, and from other other. passages of scripture, we understand that forgiveness of sins, that, that wasn't the extent of that word savior, or he would have used a different word. It means, it means restoration. It means healing. It means, it means putting things back the way that they should be, rescuing, redeeming. All of that is captured in that word savior, one who does all of, all of these things. So it's a mistake when people start separating out you know what, we'll take this part of the salvation experience. No, it, 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 you're picking out the beans. He put it all, it's all together in one package. Unto you a savior, a savior is born. One who will help you, be, he'll forgive you of your sins, make you clean, make you new, make sure you get to heaven, but also make you strong. He'll restore back the authority that was lost in the garden. He'll make your body healthy and strong. That he, all of those things come with Jesus being a savior. And it is a mistake to take some of those things and say, you know what, I'll just, I'll, this is a little more powerful palatable, just, just forgiveness of sins, that, that seems easier to swallow than some of these other things. So I just want to take a few minutes this morning to talk about a couple of aspects of things that sometimes Christians, maybe even with good intentions, separate out, but it's a mistake because God has joined them together. I, I want to read from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So another part of the Christmas story that you're familiar with, the wise men that that travel a long ways or following a star. And here it says what they're seeking. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? That Jesus was born, he was born a king. He was born a king, and in this passage, he's designated as a king of a very specific group of people. He's the king of the Jews. What's that mean? Well, it means if you were born to a Jewish family, then he's your king. He's the king of those people, king of the Jews, right? Well, other scriptures expand on his his kingship, that Jesus is king of the Jews, but he's His authority and domain is broader than that. There's other passages that say that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And in Revelation 19, it says that that's that's written on Jesus' thigh. King of kings and Lord and Lord of lords. So on one level, that designation, king of kings and Lord of lords, is just saying he he is the most high. Nobody outranks Jesus. That you can think of the the most powerful ruler, the most influential, most gifted, uh, dream up whatever you want in your mind. Jesus outranks that person. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. So we understand that that's what is being said. But there's another 
another element of what's being said there. It's a specific group of people that he is king over. Just like he is king of the Jews, he is also king of king of kings. He's also the Lord of lords. That means that when you make the decision to have Jesus be your king, something happens to you that you're not the same anymore. When you decide, I want him to be, I make him Lord of my life, a a, a transformation takes place. When we talk about becoming a new creature, a new creation, talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's not just becoming like a replica of the old creation you were. There's a reason he makes you new. And part of that newness is you become a king. You become a Lord. He is the king of who? He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of of lords. And that's an important thing for us to understand, to function the way that we're called to function as followers of, of Jesus. So we're saved, yes, forgiven of our sins, yes, but we're also move out of the old class and into a ruling class here on here on the earth. And it's a mistake to separate that out. He didn't just save us just to wait around until this life is over and then we go to heaven. Although a lot of Christians live their lives like that's the case, that they, they got saved and now it's just a waiting game, just waiting around till we move on to, to what's next. But he's entrusted us with authority, made us lords and kings so that we can get things done in this domain and bring people with us when we go on to heaven. Not just standing around like we're at a bus stop waiting, for, waiting to move on from here. We've got work to do while we're here and he has equipped us to do that work and he's given us authority. Let, let me read to you from Luke chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus says this, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Even that, we'll finish reading that verse. But even when he says that spirits are subject to you, somebody having subjects, that's, that's royal language. That's, that's king kind of language. That's reigning kind of language. He says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So we're not supposed to, that's not our source of joy, this authority. Our, our source of joy is the fact that we're going to heaven, that we're in the family of God. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're saved, you're rescued, you're redeemed, you're in the family. That's our source of joy. Jesus is our source of joy. I have fellowship with Jesus. I get to know him. I get to have his spirit on the inside of me. That's our source of joy. But people will take what Jesus said there, don't rejoice because of that, rejoice because your, your names are written down, and dismiss the first thing that he said. But if he didn't want us to pay attention to it, he just wouldn't have said it. In fact, he starts off that statement. It's not supposed to be our grounds for joy, but he starts it off by saying, behold. You know, behold means, it means pay attention to this. It means don't neglect this truth. Don't don't let what I'm about to say slip through the cracks and be forgotten. Behold, you guys are listening? I'm giving you authority over all the powers of of the enemy. And we're not supposed to separate out what God has put together. That when we make a decision to be followers of Jesus, part of the package is authority over the enemy, that spiritual forces are subject to us. And Jesus said it is a terrible mistake to start piecemealing and separate. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that. It's like saying, I I like chili, but I don't like beans. This isn't palatable to me. He says, it's a mistake to do that. If you want salvation, the the savior, take the whole thing. And part of that is authority over, over the enemy. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans 
Romans chapter five, we'll start reading in verse 12. I wanna use multiple scriptures so we can see that this is something in the new covenant. It's not just one verse that we're just kind of, hey, that would be cool. This is a consistent teaching throughout the New Testament that you've been given authority, that you are to be a king in the kingdom of God. You are supposed to reign in this life representing the kingdom of God, that we are ambassadors for Jesus. And you've got to have authority to be able to do that effectively. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, pause there for a second, and we'll keep reading. But what he's going to be doing is comparing Adam and Jesus, and the impact both of them had. And so one of the things he says right off the bat is that death came about as a result of what? as a result of sin. So, so death really isn't natural. That's right. God didn't set things up the, the way that hey, people live for a while and then they died. No, that, that came about directly as a result of sin. God didn't design things that way. So he's showing us the far ramifications, really it, the, the power of sin and what it has accomplished because he's going to compare that to the impact of what Jesus did, the second Adam. So verse 13, we'll keep reading. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. He's talking about Jesus. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died... Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. I want to read the next verse. but There's a lot going on there. Essentially, what he's doing is, again, he's comparing and contrasting what happened through the first Adam, Adam, and the second Adam, Jesus. Adam was a type of Jesus. That through the first Adam, what spread from him was death and condemnation. But through the second Adam, life and forgiveness. And he's contrasting those. Now let's look at verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So again, he, because he's comparing what Jesus did and what Adam did, to be able to gain an understanding of the impact Jesus had, you have to have some level of understanding with what he is comparing it to. So not to magnify sin for the sake of, of magnifying sin, but to, in order to magnify the significance of what Jesus did, think about what sin has done. Think about that one sin in the Garden of Eden and the ripple effect that it's had on all of mankind. The destructive power of sin, that through that one sin, all of us were damned to hell. All of us were put under judgment. All of us were separated. That sin and death became a part of all of our lives. Through that one, through that one sin, man went from living in perfect fellowship with God. 
living in absolute paradise in the Garden of Eden to living estranged from him in a fallen world. And even when we talk about a fallen world, don't think of, you know, we live in a fallen world as things were at one level and then because of sin, we dropped down a rung or two and that's where we've stayed. That the fallen nature because of sin, it's a perpetual fallenness, that it continues. It's a downward spiral. It just continues to pull. It didn't just drop us down and then plateau. And you can see that when you look at culture, when you look at society. If it weren't for men and women of God, holding it back, you can see there is a drift in one direction that wickedness just, it, it didn't just reach a level and say, okay, well, it just continues to infect and corrode and spread. And just when you think, man, how could you get any more wicked? They come up with a new way that's even more perverse and twisted. So it's a fallen world. We're talking about the power of sin and just how, how incredibly damaging because in this verse, he says, how much more, if that's what sin did, if that's the effect and how, how, how powerful it was, how much more is what Jesus did in our lives. That instead of a downward force sinking people's lives, the Bible says there's now an upward call in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, thanks be to God who always, always, all the time causes us to triumph. That's all he wants to do. Everything he initiates, every prodding he gives you, it's with one motive, to see you triumph and walk in victory. That, that Jesus has changed everything and put us on a level where we are now to reign in life representing representing him and we, it's, it's a mistake to separate that out that we're saved and on our way to heaven but while we're here we are supposed to reign what Jesus is if sin impacted things that much how much more what Jesus did should impact our lives and put us in a realm where we are now in a ruling class with authority with power to represent him well it says for those for those who receive and he mentions two things receive the abundance of grace Right? And that's where a lot of people, if they're okay with, with salvation, obviously they're okay with grace. But it's, it's two things. They receive the abundance of grace and, and the gift of righteousness. That we need to receive both of those. Not just, hey, thank God, I'm, on my, I'm forgiven. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm going to make it to heaven. Thank God for that. But in addition to that, we don't want to separate what God has joined together. He joined together that abundant grace and the gift of righteousness, which means right standing with God. It means right relationship with God. What is right relationship with God the Father? Right relationship with God the Father is your son, your daughter. Your, that, that's, that's what he has given us, right relationship, so we shouldn't live like we're peasants on the outside. If you, are, if you are living in relationship with a king, you know what that makes you? It makes you royalty. That's the free gift of righteousness. And, and listen, we are very much pro-holiness. We don't explain away or excuse away sin, but that, the gift the reigning in life is based not on your ability and your righteousness, but on his righteousness. Our righteousness on its own, the Bible says, it's like filthy rags. So no, we're not relying on that. We've been brought into a right relationship because of what Jesus has done. And from that, from that, we are supposed to reign in this life. You are royalty, a ruling class. Let, let me give you a couple other verses. Just, just uh, when you see stuff repeated throughout the New Testament just to get it ingrained in our hearts that we're not just, is that really what that means? Is that what it's talking about when it says we're supposed to reign in this life? First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's talking about several different roles 
several different titles that we have that allow us to do something significant. He, he lists them off, rattles through a few of them. He says, that you may proclaim the praises. There are certain titles we've got to embrace to be effective at proclaiming, at lifting up the name of Jesus, at bringing him glory and honor as we live this life. That it's not just ourselves, you and your name and whatever you've been able to accomplish to bring him praise. That I've got to step into these roles so that I may give him praise and lift up his name, the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I can't do it effectively apart from what he's just said about me. You can't do it effectively if you separate out what he's just said about you. And one of the things he said about you is you are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. And again, people will work. Man tries to separate what God has joined together. They'll embrace the priesthood aspect of it. Hey, you know, we're priests. We represent the Lord and we, we serve in his house. That, that's wonderful. That, that is a blessing. But he joined something with it. He included the word royal, a royal priesthood. You're talking about being in a king's family. That's royalty, right? That we are a royal priesthood. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter one, starting in verse four. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of earth. It can be translated the kings of kings. To him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's talking about Jesus, and it mentions the significance of what he's done, that he washed us in his blood for forgiveness of sins. Thank God for that. We can be clean, forgiven, that we can come into the presence of God. We can enjoy fellowship with him because of the blood of Jesus. But he includes something else. Along with the forgiveness of sins, when you were washed in his blood, it did something else. It says, I'll read it again. Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and, and this is where people will separate out, and has made us kings and priests. He's talking past tense. When you were washed in the blood of Jesus, not only were you cleansed, that's that transformation we talked about before. The new creature, you were remade into a king and into a priest. He's he's the king of kings. Not the king of beggars, not the king of of peasants, that whatever you were before, when you made Jesus king of your life, you were transformed into a king. When you decided you wanted Jesus to be Lord, you yourself became a Lord under him, but entrusted, entrusted with authority. Whatever you were in the natural, spiritually, you become positioned with authority and power. And the enemy, if he loses you to the kingdom of God, the, the devil doesn't want anyone to get saved, but if he fails in that objective, and you discover salvation through Jesus, the next best thing he can do is start to try to separate off the parts of salvation that will cause you to be a, a royal pain to him, literally, and keep him from advancing his agenda. Try to, okay, you're saved, but let's just keep him standing around waiting until they get out of here and move on to heaven and not cause any havoc for us advancing the kingdom of God. So he works to separate things off. You've been given authority. You are a ruling class. You know, I was, I was talking about something along these lines um, with someone earlier this, this week, and I, I told this story. It seemed to, to help them to picture it, so I, I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. Because this is important. This isn't just for us to be able to strut around 
and refer to ourselves as royalty. Because Jesus, Jesus, he was born king. That's not how he used his, his lordship or being king. He said, I came not to be served, but, but to serve. So this isn't a message about being arrogant, being proud. This is, we, we have been positioned to serve and not just with our pockets pulled inside out, but we've been given authority. We can be effective in our service because of the level that he has given us by, by his grace and the gift of righteousness. I went to college in Missouri, and while I was there, my friends and I, you know, just doing what college kids do, you look for places to hang out and, you know, ways that you can waste time. And so one of the ways that we, we did that is we found this little, little spot out on the edge of town, and Missouri's a lot of farmland. We found this backcountry road, and for whatever reason, we just kind of made that our, our spot. And we'd go out there on the edge of the road in the fields and with cows and stuff and drink coffee and play hacky sack and skip class. And, uh, that, you know, that, that was just our spot. And one night, we're out on this farm road in the, in the middle of the night, and we're standing around drinking coffee, just wasting time. And there was a possum that kind of was meandering around the edge of this field. And I, I threw something at that possum. I don't know why. I think it was my coffee cup. I, I threw my coffee cup. And when I did, I startled the possum. I scared it, and it scampered away a little bit. And the people that I was with laughed. And so being, you know, 19, 20 years old, insecure, you know, trying to impress people, wanting to be liked, they, they liked that. So I thought, well, if they liked me scaring that possum, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do more to scare the possum. So I took off running after the possum. And the, the possum took off r- running. He was scared of me. And I'm chasing it around the field. It's just kind of zigzagging uh, around. People are cheering. People are laughing. I'm the guy chasing. I'm terrorizing this poor little possum. And then something happened, which I don't know if the possum was just tired. I don't know if something clicked in his mind. I don't know if he had some epiphany. But that possum stopped running. And it turned around and started walking towards me. And I went, I went from being this champion uh, possum terrorist to, to being a complete coward. It turned around and I shrieked and I went from terrorizing it to being terrorized by it. it started, I, people started laughing instead of at the possum. Now they're laughing, they're laughing at me. But that, that is a picture of so many people in the spiritual realm that the enemy will chase you as much as you allow him to chase you until you had whatever epiphany that possum had and you realize, man, I don't have to put up with this and turn around and realize actually the enemy's afraid of you because you've been given authority. Praise the Lord. But if you refuse to use it, if you refuse to use it, the enemy will chase you all the days of your life. I don't know in what ways the enemy has sought to make a mockery out of your life, to chase you down, to wreak havoc in your marriage, in your home, in your health. But I'm believing that this morning there's gonna be people, this comes alive in their heart, that a light comes on on the inside and they realize enough is enough. I've been authorized by Jesus Christ to turn the table on the enemy. I've been anointed to put the enemy on the run and I don't have to spend my days on the run from the enemy. That the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 that you have been made complete in Christ. You, you are complete. You know what complete means? It means you're not lacking anything. You're, you're complete in Christ. That, that's what the Bible says about you. I don't feel complete. I feel pretty, well, you're wrong. The Bible says you're complete. If you know, if you are in Christ, you are complete. Now, it, when my children were born, they're little babies, they're born, 
You're thankful that they've got all their toes, they've got their fingers, they've got you know, the right amount of eyeballs. You know, you, you count the, you, if everything's right, right, they've got all of those things. They are complete. Yes. But there's a process of learning as they mature, learn how to use the things that they all already have. That ma- maturing isn't growing more arms and legs. M- maturing isn't getting more eyeballs and more ears, right? Unless you've been drinking the water in Shinston. Those things shouldn't, shouldn't, be, those things shouldn't be, be happening. So maturing isn't gaining something you don't have. It's just learning how to use what you, already, what you already have. And so people keep waiting to gain something that's missing. Nothing's missing. You just need to start putting into practice the things that you already, already have. In Christ, you lack nothing. So it's a benefit to you and I to be able to say, you know what, the enemy's not going to chase me anymore. The enemy's not going to torment me. He's not going to put depression and fear and sickness and disease. He's not going to put strife in my home. He's not going to put me on the run. He gets people to a point where they're ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to give up. They're just exasperated and exhausted when if they would realize what God's word has to say about them, if they'd stop separating certain bits off and realize, man, I can turn around and drive the enemy out of my life which is a starting point, but God doesn't even just want that. He he wants you a step further. Not only are you delivered, he wants you to become a deliverer for other people around you. So number one, it's a benefit to you and your household, the authority you have. But there's people that need someone else to step into their situation and use that authority and show them the dominion that the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of, of the enemy. How much more, the Bible says, how much more will those who've received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in this life. Let, let me read it to you in Weymouth's translation. Romans 5.17, Weymouth's New Testament says, For if through the transgression of the one individual death made us of the one individual to seize the sovereignty, all the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift of righteousness reign as kings in life through the one individual Jesus Christ. For if through the transgression of the one individual, death made use of the one individual to seize the sovereignty. That originally, when you read the first couple chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, two, three, God gave dominion to man. God gave authority to man. But through the fall, by choosing to disobey God and to sin, they lost what God had given them. But But Jesus came as a savior, and part of being a savior is a restorer of what has been lost. So this is telling us in in Romans 5, 17, that the enemy took advantage of that fall, of that original sin, to seize sovereignty or to take the authority that had been given to man. But Jesus broke the power of the enemy, and as a savior, he restored what had been lost, and authority comes comes back to you and I. And so we can use it in our own lives, but also as a blessing to people all around us. And you've got to begin to see yourself as complete, as authorized. Behold, I've given you authority. Pay attention. Don't don't neglect the fact that you're in the ruling class. You're royalty. You're part of the family of God. When I was a youth pastor, we had uh, four years in a row where we took a group to El Salvador. And we had a relationship with some missionaries down there. There's still people that are part of the church here this morning that were part of those, those trips where we'd go down every year. And El Salvador is an impoverished, an impoverished nation. And so when we would go down there, we would go to the impoverished parts of El Salvador. So people that were poor, even by poor standards, 
the lowest of the low. We'd go to these villages and communities and uh, little, little schools and places way out in the middle of nowhere. And we would go there with, with resources. We would go there with things to do for the kids, with puppets and balloons and, and candy and all those kinds of, of things. We would go there with people ready to work and get some stuff done for this community. We also had some finances. I mean, you go with $50 down there, you feel like you know, you're, you're some kind of wealthy person. You're able to buy water for all of the workers or buy a meal or, hey, what do we need to do to help get that person a home or get that person, you know, uh, something that they're, they're lacking. So when you, when, if you've ever been on a missions trip like that, when you go into these third world countries, when you know that you're well-resourced, you approach situations differently. I can remember walking into those schools or walking into those communities, those villages, looking around. Just You, you start looking for people to help. You know you've got something. I've got something that'll bless that person. I'm, I've got something that'll bless that person. I think we can help over there. You, you just start to look at things differently when you realize I am well-resourced and able to help these people. And that's the mindset when you start to get this and believe it, that your mindset changes. Instead of just going to work, man, I'm just trying to get through the week. I'm just trying to make it to payday. No, you step in into that environment. I am well-resourced. I've got something on the inside of me. I carry an authority, an anointing. Man, I can help that person. I've got something that'll minister. I can help bring that person into the kingdom of God. I know they're dealing with that. I got a word in my heart for them. You are well-resourced and it changes the way that you look at people around you, that you are somebody who meets needs of everyone, everyone around you. That's how God wants to use you. That's the way Jesus functioned. That's the way he wants you to function. Knowing, man, I, I'm well-resourced. I can do something about these problems. You're not a bystander. You're royalty. You have authority. You are well-resourced. You're a son, a daughter of the Most High. And that's how we got to begin to see ourselves and not, not just making it through, making impact. You know, for some people, there's some people who have grown up in the church and they, they never have heard this kind of teaching because it's always separated out. They've never heard about authority and these kinds of things, and it's new to them. And then there's others who have heard it, but the enemy has manipulated things to convince them that they have no place operating in that authority. And though, even though they know about it, they don't feel qualified to minister from it, to make, to make impact. Because the enemy will get you looking at, at yourself condemning yourself. Man, I know there's supposed to be authority. Man, I messed up over here and I'm not quite like that person. I don't feel like I'm at that level and always trying to obtain. But what we said before, it's the gift of righteousness. If it was about you, then you would pray for people in your own name. You'd say, you know, in the name of Bert. I, you don't do that. We say in the name of Jesus because we're just carrying his, his authority, right? We're representatives of him. So it's not about, it's not about us. Imagine if, imagine if you were you were pulled over for speeding. I know this is hard for some of you to imagine. Imagine if you got a ticket for speeding and you decide you're gonna fight this ticket and you went before the judge and as you're, you're pleading your case why you shouldn't have to pay this fine or whatever the punishment, the punishment is, you start talking about the police officer that pulled you over and that clocked you for going you know, 30 miles an hour over the speed limit and you start pointing out flaws in him. Man, I, I, I know for a fact this gentleman has himself sped at times. I, I happen to know that he's not a great dad. In fact, he's kind of a deadbeat, honestly. He lays on the couch. He doesn't play with his kids. He's not super involved. He, he misses a lot of their, their sporting games. He's a terrible dad. And 
I don't think he's a great husband. I think he's kind of a jerk to his wife. You could point out all kinds of flaws and you might convince the judge that that guy is, is no good, but it has nothing to do with the authority that he was operating in when he gave you that ticket. It wasn't in his own ability. It was in the authority of the state or whoever authorized him to carry that authority. So it, it's the same thing with you and I as representatives of God. And again, I'm not making an excuse for a lack of holiness. We are, we are pro-holiness, right? Not, sex outside of marriage is a sin. That we're not supposed to be drunkards. We, we are a very pro-holiness church. That being said, all of your own righteousness, again, amounts to nothing. And our reliance has to be on Jesus. That he, he gave us the free gift of his righteousness that you and I could never, ever uh, obtain on our own. So that when we use authority, when we take those steps, man, it's, it's not reliant. Don't allow the enemy to disqualify you by looking at yourself and examining yourself. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of, of our faith. So Jesus, unto you a Savior has been born. Unto you a Savior has been born. Forgiveness of sins, absolutely. But a restore of what's been lost. Making whole what's come apart. We're not supposed to separate out. Let me, let me give one more aspect of Jesus as Savior, then, then we'll pray. Sozo, rescuer, redeemer, Savior. Also healer. Jesus is a healer. That's, that's part of what Jesus came to do. Un, unto good news, good tidings, it'll be for all people. Unto you a healer has been born. The angels could have said that. They're saying the same thing because that's part of Savior and we don't want to separate, separate that out. Let me read just a couple of verses from Mark chapter five. Just to give you an example of the way that they use this word in the Bible, the same word sozo that the angels used to announce the Savior. Mark chapter five, starting in verse 21, it says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. When Jairus comes and says, man, my daughter, she's so sick. She's about to die. She doesn't have much longer. If you know the story, she ends up, she does end up dying. And the word that Jairus used here, that is appeal to Jesus. If you would come, if you'd lay your hand, I know you can, she, she'll be healed. It's the word sozo. Sozo, she'll be healed. And eventually she is healed. She's restored, raised from the dead and given back a restoration. Jesus was savior. It continues. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Same word again. This time Sozo's translated, I'll be made to be made well, to be made whole. For what's wrong in my life to get straightened out, for sickness and disease to go, for health to come. It's the same word, sozo. If you're here this morning, you need a touch in your body. You need healed. It says he, a Savior has come. Good news for all people unto you. 
You're included in that. You're included, that Savior, the saving power of Jesus. Healing for your body is included in it. And Jesus said, do not separate what God has joined together. In salvation, there's forgiveness of sins. There's a name written in the Lamb's book of life that we get to spend eternity in heaven. But there's authority and dominion restored. You are living on a level that isn't like what other people live on. That you have authority. That you have right relationship with God. The gift of righteousness and healing for your body while you're here until you step in into eternity. Praise the Lord. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.